Welcome to the Exponential Growth Podcast, where we demystify what it takes to break into tech. I'm your host, James Hudnall, and my goal is to highlight real-life examples of people moving into careers they love, so you can too. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by Joey Cruz, a Marine Corps veteran who's now a Principal Product Manager at Microsoft. He also recently launched a nonprofit community for Hispanic and Latinx tech professionals and allies. Now we're going to dive in and get to know Joey and see how exactly he broke into tech. Joey, welcome to the show and thank you for your service. Thank you for your support, James. I really appreciate it. Yeah, glad to have you, man. Before we deconstruct your journey, what exactly is a product manager? There's different types of product managers. I'm part of the customer experience team, but essentially we're trying to solve problems for customers. And the way we do that is with the product. So this could be a feature or a set of features or even a brand new product, but essentially problem solving for a specific problem. An example is I am part of our customer experience team where we're able to take enterprise customer problems and provide solutions for them either within the product or help design and architect a solution for them. Awesome. And you are a principal product manager. And I want to ask you, so I'm, I'm still learning the SWE title. So I'm an apprentice. Then there's a SWE. Then there's a senior SWE, a staff, senior staff. And I think then is principal. So are you that tenured just to set the set the stage? Yes. I, I, I like to compare it to ranks like in the military. You start off as a PM, so a product manager, PM2, senior PM, and then principal. That's where I'm okay. at now. Got it. Yeah. When you were a child, did you want to grow up and be a product manager or was it a little bit more nuanced journey into tech? It was a lot more nuanced than that. It was uh, the simplest term is I knew I loved technology. I remember my first, the biggest company I saw in Houston, Texas, where I grew up was Hewlett Packard. And I was like, I saw their campus. And the reason why I saw it was we were driving to pick up my grandma from the airport. And I remember looking out and I see HP and I was like, I know that. I know that symbol. That's yeah. uh, the symbol of the printers. I looked over and I saw this giant campus and I saw a bunch of people and I was like, what is even that? So that's when I first started looking into even pursuing tech. That and my compact, my compact, my first computer made yeah. me fall in love with tech. Nice. Okay. So what kind of stuff did you do as a child? You play sports. Aside from that, did you have any exposure to, to computers or programming, anything like that? So I try to play sports. Uh, there's a story there. <laughs> Let's hear it. In Houston, or when I was growing up, I grew up from humble beginnings. So we couldn't afford health insurance. We couldn't afford a lot of things. So for you to play sports, you're required to have health insurance and medical insurance. And we didn't have that. So I was banned from playing sports and I didn't have the options. So there, there was other courses, extracurriculars to play instruments. And I actually... I don't like admitting it, but they, I did used to play the trumpet, but okay. then my band teacher told me to go play the tuba and I hate saying that, but that's the truth. Why do you hate saying that? You think? Yeah, I'm curious. Have you seen the size of a tuba? I and, have. I, I played a saxophone in school, so I know what a, a trumpet and a tuba is. I have respect for both. I don't see or understand your embarrassment there. I'm trying to better understand that, Joey. Let me, let me backpedal. All right. Imagine you're in high school. You're walking down the halls and you're carrying a giant case. And in that case, there's a tuba. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that high school kids can be mean, but high school kids can be mean. Thank so you. I'll just leave it at that. It, okay. it was quite an adventure carrying a tuba up and down. Okay. Did you play that through high school? No, I quit after that. I, I, was, I, I did not like it. It was not a, a desirable experience and I, I, I don't want to do that. Fair enough. I, but no, no, outside in high school, I, I found myself 
leaning a lot towards computers. Like e- even though I got turned down for sports because obviously didn't have the medical insurance or, or health insurance, I got introduced to AutoCAD and I remember going through like the keyboard labs experience and I loved it. I, I loved everything about this little box that did so much with it. And at the time compared to now with like chat GPT and all that good stuff, it was an exposure of something that for me, it didn't require like a ticket or admission. It was just the box. Of course, then you need your software, but the school was providing that. And I love that. I love the fact, the concept of the internet, the ability for you in one place to control and do things everywhere. So that's, that was my first exposure. I actually started trying to pursue a career in architecture. Mm. That was my first class. My first operating system class was with AutoCAD. I was really good at it. I actually got like a, a state award. I remember I was so excited. I was like, wow, this like computer software AutoCAD helped me design a bridge and the bridge ended up like winning first place. Mm. And that excited me. And it was using the computer at the time, but it was more of the ability to do something more with that computer that I was really attracted to. Yeah. And that's kind of where I started scratching that that itch if you will to try to pursue more uh exposure to computers yeah okay so then at that point you're in high school maybe high school's finishing up did you have plans to go to college i think the military's coming in here shortly i'm curious about that point of your life oh yeah uh, so back to the the computer labs i, I remember uh, trying to get my first computer uh, back in the day the compact 64 was quite an expensive piece of machinery. Like (laughs) it was like 1600 bucks. I remember. And I remember like every summer I would like save up. uh, I was cutting yards uh, for a few years. And I remember getting paid $40 a day. But even though I was trying to save up for a computer, I would always split all my profit down the middle because I was trying to help my mom. Since Mm -hmm. I grew up just with me, my two other sisters, I would give my mom half of my check. And my mom still makes this joke about what happened to that boy that used to give me half his check. <laughs> I'm like, mom, that boy has bills now. I'm like, I, I can't give you half my check. Yeah. Uh, but I remember saving up, bought the first computer. I was so excited for it. And I took it home and I was so excited to start using it. And only to find out that there was no cable modem in the back of it. And I was like, are you serious? Like, I didn't even know computers needed yeah. a cable modem. Sure enough, I went back to uh, the place where... I couldn't afford to buy the computer outright. I afforded to put a down payment and have monthly payments for it. Uh, that was my first introduction to rent to own. Okay. And I bought a cable modem, ended up getting it up and running, got my first exposure to uh, a virus. I did not like the feeling of my yeah. mouse moving. I remember freaking out and I was like, what did I do? My computer, yeah. my beautiful computer just got infected. And it, that, that actually really made me want to understand why that happened. So mm-hmm. there, there's like the curiosity. I've always had the curiosity of breaking things apart. Remember the age old question, have you ever broken apart a remote and put it back together? Yeah. Uh, I'm like, no, I, I wanted to make it even better. Like I want to break it apart, add on components and make it even yeah. better. But that was my exposure to computers. And when, when I started going through high school, it was a little bit of exposure, a little bit of what you could do with it, but the curiosity kept coming back. And as I was going through community college, my friends started joining the military, the Marines, and I wanted to be a part of the Marines. Okay. For me, when I met a Marine, the Marines have always been very confident, something that I've always looked up to. 
And I saw my friend join. He ended up joining as a reservist. And he was like, why don't you join now? And I was like, no, I want to go to college. Let me go to college, get my bachelor's and then go in. Okay. That was the plan. You were going to get the bachelor's in like IT or computers at that point? Was that plan A? To be very honest with you, it hadn't been defined yet. I was still trying to get it. I was like, I have enough time. I have to just get my basics, my bachelor's and then look at actual degree and what to get. But yes, I really wish that they just had a degree for computers. Like I would have taken that route, like coding all day. Like that's... Then we're talking, but uh, of course you had your, your fundamentals, you had your English history and all that good stuff. It hadn't been set yet, but I knew I had some time to think about. And as I was going through community college, I was talking to my friend and he ended up joining as a reservist and he's like, why don't you join now? Now I'm like, I think I could wait and then join. And at the time, the war in Afghanistan was still going on full-fledged. So this was back in 2009. Okay. And uh, my friend was still, uh, he joined and I had been going with him to the recruiters because he needed to go do like, uh, it's called that, like there's a program that before you actually get to boot camp, you have to go attend. And I had to go and I love working out. So I'm like, hey, like I, I can work out with y'all. Yeah. Of course, uh, the recruiter was like, would you want to join? I was like, yeah, not right now. I'm like, maybe down the road, like, let me finish college. And then he's like, wait, like is college stopping you? And I was like, well, I want to finish it and then like go in. And he's yeah. like, well, did you know that you can actually go to college while you're in the Marines? And I was like, no way. Hmm. Now, is it applicable in all cases? Uh, this is where it starts getting great. <laughs> and I remember being so excited. I was like, wait, I can be a Marine and I can finish my studies. And I'm like, this, this sounds like a good opportunity. Like this is uh, a way to give back to my community, be something bigger than myself. And really like uh, what really got me was uh, I was talking to the recruiter and he's like, people go all their lives wondering if they made an impact on anybody else's life. Marines don't have that problem. Hmm. When you become a part of the Marines, you lose only thinking about yourself. Hmm. And I'm like, this is an interesting concept. And then I'm like scratching at it because I'm like talking to him and I already got excited with the college part. What really got me was the fact that you would become something bigger than just yourself. And what that means is like, you can stop thinking about yourself. You start thinking about a unit. That conversation slowly started getting me thinking. I'm like, well, if I can complete my college courses and give back to a bigger cause than myself and not have to rethink that whole, have I ever contributed more to a community than just myself? And I was like, I, I connect with that. Yeah. I'm like, okay, let's do it. I'm all in. Sign me up. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. I was like, well, tell me more. He's like, well, this is how it works. You're going to take a test. And then that test is basically going to evaluate what job you can and cannot qualify for. I remember at the time I was like, oh, it's just another test. And I did not want to study for it. The test is called the ASVAB. And the intent behind that ASVAB test is really to gauge your aptitude, either for technology, engineering, problem solving, just understanding if you would be good at this job. Yeah. I ended up taking it and I scored so high that I could do anything. And I was so excited for that. Nice. And I was like, well, I've always had this passion for computers. While I've never been exposed to like actual proper training or a proper role, I want to do what I know eventually I want to do is computers. Yeah. Like even at that point in time, I was not exposed to 
any type of in-depth knowledge of how computers work. It was always just one of those, like, you kind of see it, but you don't know where to start. And I wish there was programs that you could actually like go through that tell you this is how you start to break into tech. There's yeah. lots of great resources now. But back in the day, encyclopedias was useless. Yeah, you can't command F. You got to go physically search through every single page. Yeah. So I was excited. I was like, I want to do something with computers. Put me in, coach. And he's like, okay, you scored high enough. We'll put you in as a, at the time it was called a data network specialist, 0651. And I was like, okay, cool. And I remember thinking at the time, well, it's for sure. I'm going to go sign the contract. I have to tell my mom. And my mom, she actually comes from Nicaragua. And it was a very interesting conversation I had with my mom. Uh, because I totally thought she was going to push back. So mm. I was ready to tell her, mom, I decided to join the Marines. And she was like, are you sure? And I'm like, yes, I am sure. And she's like, okay, I support you. Mm. I totally thought she was going to be like, don't do it. Why did you think that? Her history in Nicaragua was exposed to war. Okay. She knew I had a really high chance of going straight to war. Got it. And I'm like, mom, there is a possibility, but... This is the country that you came to. This is an ability to serve my country. This is our country now. I didn't have to really explain it. She knew it. Yeah. She knew what patriotism was. The sense of freedom that you get here, that's exactly why she left Nicaragua, right. was because she was seeing people get shot in her neighborhood. And she did not take her freedom for granted in the US. So yeah. she was happy I made the decision. She, wanted me to make sure that I was going to get into something that I knew could possibly be an outcome. And she completely supported me. She just wanted me to be safe. Yeah. I ended up going to boot camp. It's funny because like a lot of people think that when you join the military, you're issued a job and it's nothing like that. It's, it's literally interviews. You get selected for a job. So first, of course, the Marines have two concepts. The first one is boot camp. The second one is combat training. Those aren't even the beginning. That yep. is just basic. That's getting the molding of a Marine ready. So you go through boot camp, 13 weeks, just pure boot camp. You graduate, you're officially a Marine. At that point, you come back, you get instructed for combat. So you do, I think, two months of just combat training. After your combat training, you get sent to your school. Now in schooling, again, your job is not guaranteed. I remember my peer, Bonnick. I did not like him. And the reason why I did not like him, and we're, we ended up being best friends. We still talk to this day. So uh, the second this comes out, I'm going to make sure he hears it because I, I, <laughs> I told he knows how much I hated him. I was like, I was so mad at him. I remembered like he was going through the course and he was actually a network technician at a school. So he knew his stuff. Okay. The schooling to become a cyber network operator you had to pass CCNA courses. So CCNA is Cisco Network Associate Courses, which is Cisco's really well-known network. It, they do a lot more in the networking, uh, but one of the components that they offer is a, a certification. And basically we had to do that for, I want to say 12 weeks. And at the end of each week, there was a final exam. And if you failed two final exams, they deny you the job. So basically you're interviewing and if you don't have the ability to pass these exams, which if you know nothing of computers, it can be like kind of scary. And I remember yeah, yeah. studying every night and I would look over and Bonnet would be playing Call of Duty and I'm like, oh, how, how can he do that? And I can't, but yeah, it made yeah. sense. He had the exposure. 
And I remember uh, going through school, they assigned me as a platoon lead, kind of like a the person that was in charge. And the reason why I hate Bonnick, let me explain. We were all cleaning up and he was like in the smoke pit smoking. And I'm like, hey, Bonnick, help us clean up. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right after I finished my cigarette. Mm. Mind you, this was like 2010. This was over 13 years ago and I'm still not over it. I hear that. <laughs> no, I love Bonnick. Bonnick ended up being my best friend. We did two deployments to Afghanistan together. I love them, man. But he's like, no, I'm going to finish. And I remember I'm like, oh, come on, Bonnie, you have to listen to me. So anyways, that's just kind of the love-hate relationship we have. It was funny how we met, but we ended up becoming really close friends. And he did help me study. I did have questions, and he was always just so nice to help me ramp up yeah. through my journey to try to even get to schooling. Uh, and I remember once we finished the 12 weeks, he was sitting next to me. We've done boot camp. We did the combat training. We did the MOS school. Now, the final thing is getting issued your unit. Now, the Marine Corps is huge. It's almost like Microsoft. It's so many organizations, so many different components. Your unit is basically what product, what you're focused on. And that tells you a lot about what you're going to be doing. It was a really nerve-wracking day. I remember I was excited. I was like, what's going to happen to my future? So I remember sitting next to Bonnick and the instructors were walking around with the unit on a piece of paper. They're like, you're going to this unit. You're going to this unit. And then they get to Bonnick and I. I remember vividly because I was so nervous. And I was looking at the instructor's eyes and I was like, what is he going to say? And he just laughs. He's like, Y'all two might as well forget what y'all just learned because you're going to the grunts. Mm. And I'm like, what does that even mean? So we knew the concept of grunts. Grunts are typically this term referred to infantrymen. So I was like, wait a second. What about the computers? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, wait, I I, I know every Marine's a rifleman. And I I, I was so proud uh, to gain the title of a Marine. And I knew there was a chance that I was going to go to combat, but right from the get-go they're like you're going to artillery Hmm. he's like you're going to 511 you might as well forget about what you just learned i remember looking at bonnick and i'm just like wow this is interesting let's see what happens next you really can't turn back at this point you're kind of committed well i mean if if you turn back you're going awol so you'd be going straight to prison got it it never crossed my mind to turn back it was more of the how am i going to make the best out of this yeah of course, we get there. Bonnick and I actually got assigned. He, he was destined to be my best friend. That's what happened. We ended up going to 511. 511 is in uh, the Camp Pendleton. So Camp Pendleton is near San Diego in California. So it was beautiful. I was so excited. And I remember this was my first time being in a plane. When, when I went to boot camp, I remember seeing all the mountains in San Diego. And I was like, I swear there must be dinosaurs out there. There's no way that we can say, say that Jurassic Park isn't out there somewhere. <laughs> Uh, we ended up showing up to our unit, and I, I remember being so excited on my first day. It was a few months in that I learned that I'm part of a team. So the way the military works is you get assigned to a unit, and depending on the rotation, you get sent overseas. Uh, so basically, somebody get a unit gets sent for seven months, they come back, a new unit goes. So it's like a cycle. And I remember showing up to my unit, and they were like, yep, you're getting ready. It's called pre-deployment training. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do my first tour to Afghanistan. And of course, I have to tell my family. And of course, you have to write your will. And I will say that is one of the most interesting exposures, especially being at that time, I was 22, Mm -hmm. writing your will, getting ready for worst case scenarios. 
writing the will, getting ready for our first deployment. I get sent to uh, Dwyer. Uh, it was a Ford operating base. I remember my very first international flight was to Afghanistan. And I remember thinking like, wow, this is this is nice. This is like a really nice plane. It, it was like one of the Emirates. Okay. They let us sit wherever we wanted. So I was like, wow, yeah. this is like, I've, I've never been in first class, but I just walked by and it looked so nice. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to make a joke about you're probably not going to drink on that first commercial flight over there. It was funny because you, you take a commercial flight and we ended up going to um, Manas, uh, Kyrgyzstan. So I remember being in Kyrgyzstan and there was the Air Force base there. Uh, the Air Force takes us to the major camp, which at the time was called Camp Leatherneck. And we were at Manas uh, for a few, I want to say a few weeks. Uh, they're, they're called transitionary tent. In theater, we spent about six months. So depending on your operation, it could be cut shorter. Uh, we, we went there for a first tour. We land in Leatherneck. Leatherneck was huge. It was like a huge operating base in Afghanistan. I remember like, wow, this place is huge. It's not bad. But hmm. I didn't realize that when we get to Dwyer, Dwyer is called the Ford operating base. And it was like this tiny little patch of land or like barbed wire land. Hmm. And I remember uh, one of the first things that happened was like I was taking a nap. I remember laying down on the cot and being woken up by a shockwave. And the shockwave ended up being an explosion right outside of the Ford operating base Leatherneck. Hmm. Of course, at the time, I thought we were getting attacked. Turned out we weren't being attacked. It was a controlled IED explosion, IED. IED is an improvised explosive device. Uh, there was tons of them in Afghanistan. Basically, uh, think about a bomb underground. But the shockwave was so strong that it shook me awake. And I remember hmm. waking up and I'm just like, what just happened? There you go. And uh, uh, luckily, I was around all my Marines, and they were like, yeah, don't worry about it. That's just a controlled detonated explosion. I'm like, okay, well, there was a lot of lessons throughout this entire deployment. Okay. But that was the beginning of my first tour. And I remember uh, through the first tour, like, one of the things you don't think about is like, well, how bad could it be? Like, uh, six months. Yes, you have the whole goal of trying to make sure that everything goes to the best that it can go. Uh, but you don't realize that you don't stop working. There is no weekends. Yeah, You would do an entire shift, but the shifts don't stop. They keep coming. And as a matter of fact, in my second deployment, we ran into an issue where at the time, the people that were on the base, we got intel that we might get attacked. And that caused our shifts to increase because we had to increase security, increase overwatch. We had to do a lot more shifts. And I just, I remember feeling exhausted and just happy that we got the word that we get to go back home. Yeah. So that was a six month deployment. Is that right? Yes, I did a six month deployment. I was excited to come back. And there's this one song that it always like reminds me of our last trip and getting into a Chinook. Chinook's a helicopter. Is It has two propellers. It looks like a big hot dog bun that opens okay. up in the back. And then basically, I remember just getting in there and then popping in my headphones at the time. And then listening to Paradise City, Guns N' Roses. Yeah. I, I remember I'm like, this is a perfect song. <laughs> and I, yeah. I remember the funny part was like the first time I was writing, when I almost fell out. And it was because back in the day, you had to carry these things called these portable cameras. And I remember I wanted to take a picture and everybody got in the plane and everybody buckled in and I sat down and I was like, oh, okay, I, I want to take a picture real quick. So I focused mm. on taking the picture and the helicopter started taking off and I almost flew right out. But mm. luckily my Marines grabbed me by my armor, but I got injured in my second deployment, uh, pretty bad in, in my shoulder. 
I did a lot during my uh, Marine Corps career. Uh, I was able to become a martial arts instructor. After I came back from my second tour, I got assigned as a platoon sergeant. Okay. I was super proud of all this. This is, this is great. Yeah. Let me ask you, Joey. So yeah. from that point, your first and your second employment, was it pure grunt work? Like you were told it was going to be? Did you ever get a chance to scratch that computer creative side of you? Oh, yes. When you get assigned to artillery, artillery has a concept of they do use computers, but you do it way more often in combat, uh, meaning that when you get deployed, you become what we call the data chief. Okay. You were in charge to make sure that if the network goes down, you put it back up. So, which yeah. is an insane responsibility for one person. It's crazy because there was there's three different units. You were one Marine completely in charge of an entire region ability to provide support for infantrymen. So an example would be like if somebody was getting hurt or getting shot at and they would call us, we would have to have visibility on if we're okay to send a rocket downrange. Now, what happens if something happened to you or that person? Is there, is there some cross training there where somebody else could step in or you just play it by ear? You know, that's a great question. I I don't know if, if there was, I'm sure there was, but there was one 0651 assigned per platoon, but there there was bigger units. So it wasn't just us by ourselves. Okay. There was a reporting higher structure. So there okay. is redundancy. We're still talking about like the networking terminology here in tech. So we're still on point with the redundant systems. There. Yeah, yeah. There, there is high availability. It's The Marines is a well-built machine that knows it's a redundancy, whether or not it's a person, because there is a reporting structure. Okay. So you hurt your shoulder. Second deployment is, I think, over with at that point. What happens next? The deployments took a toll on my family. I, I love the Marines. I still love the Marines. Semper Fidelis means always faithful. So we're always faithful to the core. For me, I made a promise to my mom that I would not reenlist. Several reasons. If, if we root cause it, it was when we went into River City. So River City but basically it's when they shut off communications to the U.S. So when you're in country, if there's loss of life in combat, they need to go present themselves. What happens is the people that are still in combat, they go into River City. So all communications to the U.S. gets cut off. And the reason why is because they don't want you to be the ones who tells the family that so-and-so passed away. So to prevent that, they cut off all communications. And what they do is they allow the officers to show up because it's an officer and a chaplain that do the the actual communications of, a in this case, a Marine passing. So that really took a toll on my mom. Okay. The second that I would get a chance to call her back, she'd be crying and she'd be like, I'm glad you're okay, but I can't keep doing this. Like every time I see Marines have been killed in Afghanistan, I thank you. And she's like, promise me you will not keep doing this. Growing up, I, I didn't have a role model outside of my mom. My mom's always been my role model. But okay. if we look at males, like I grew up without a father. And I knew that because my mom had to be my, my father and my mother. And she did a, an amazing job. She I, I still don't know how she did it. She raised three kids and not even being able to speak English. like, mm. and, and people were mean. People have always been mean to her. But, but growing up, she's always been my role model. But I didn't have the camaraderie of role models that should be role models. There were people. They like growing up where I grew up where there there isn't a high level of income, you get exposed to people. And whether or not they're good people, that's for you to make the call. Luckily my mom has always made sure that I, I stayed in the straight and narrow path. 
And I mean, I still think her to this day. She she's the one who taught me work ethic. She's the one who taught me what to do when it's right. And she's always been somebody that I always looked up to. But the Marines, for me, it was being exposed to a community that had discipline, had honor, courage, and commitment, which is like that's exactly what you get trained for boot camp. And it's real. It's like for me, I was so happy to be part of this brotherhood. I wore the uniform with so much pride. I didn't want to let go of the brotherhood, but I understood that it, it was a life that my mom and my family is just could not keep going. So yeah. that's when I had to start thinking about what's going to happen afterwards. Right. And fortunately enough, like there, there is a program every uh, Marine goes through at the time it was called TRS. So th- this is back in 2013, 14, right? So, and you go through a transition readiness program and the intent behind the program is to get you ready, ready to become a civilian. I made my decision. I, I talked to a career planner. I'm like, I no longer wish to sign on a new contract. I wish to get out. And they're like, you have to go through the program. And I'm like, fine, I will go through the program. And at the time I was a platoon sergeant. I had a, a, about, I want to say a few months to a year left because I signed a five-year contract. Okay. I go through the program and I remember looking at the options. You had options for a plumber, electrician, technician, or a mechanic. And I'm like... Where is tech? Yeah. There is no option for tech. And I remember raising my hand and Angel, the the TRS agent, I won't forget him because I still have him on LinkedIn, uh, but huge shout out to him. But I raised my hand. I'm like, is there anything with computers or tech or any, anything I could do? And he's like, I just got an email this morning about a program that Microsoft launched. And I was like, what? Microsoft? Like, yeah. No, 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 that's way too high. I'm like, wait, like Microsoft actual wants to offer a job? And he's like, it's a program. You're going to need like eight weeks. And I'm like, oof, eight weeks. So in the concept in the military, temporary admissible duty, basically you don't do the job that you are supposed to do day to day. You get TAD'd to secondary job. So I remember I was like eight weeks and I'm like, Microsoft, like just, just the name. I was like, yeah. I, was, I was so flustered by the name. I'm like, could I actually make it in Microsoft? I'm like, I don't know. I, that's, that's huge. Like I, I know yeah. I have some exposure to tech. I, I was the data chief in Afghanistan. I was charged in charge to make sure that we were operational 24 seven. And I was like, I don't know. I, I'm excited. But the, the problem was he did not have the piece of paper that gave me the information. He's like, come visit me in two weeks in my office at 3 p.m. I'm like, okay, for opportunity to work at Microsoft, I'll do yeah. it. So I go back to doing my platoon sergeant duties. I end up going back in the second week and I show up 2 p.m. sharp. Um, of course, as a Marine, if you show up on time, you're late. Yep. So I show up early. I'm excited. I'm like opportunity at Microsoft, but I'm also nervous because I have to go be a platoon sergeant. And I'm like, I'm waiting for the paper to come and he's not there. And like a few minutes pass by and it starts getting 15 minutes pass by. And I start freaking out because I do not like being late. I don't like not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So at the time I'm like, okay, that's been long enough for uh, the lunch that I was allocated. I need to go back to being a platoon sergeant. And I was like, oh, I need to wait some more. Like in my gut, there was, yeah. there was a decision I had to make, leave or wait. And I'm like, I'm going to wait. So I waited a few more minutes and I, I, I'm like, all right, I think he forgot. And at that point, I'm like, you know what? I guess it just wasn't meant to be. And I start walking to my car and sure enough, as I'm walking out, he's walking in and he's mm-hmm. like, oh my God, 
yes, your, your paper, I forgot. And I was like, oh, like, sir, please give me the information. And he shows me, he's like, well, it's not eight weeks, it's 16 weeks. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, whoa, my chances went from like five, 10% to zero. So I'm like, I'm like, yeah. oh no, like trying to get approval for that much. I don't know if it's going to happen. And I remember I'm like, wait, so this is Microsoft? And he's like, yes, Microsoft is owning this program and they're trying to help veterans get hired in tech. And I'm like, the Microsoft wants to hire us as employees. And he's like, yes. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, I'm, I, I started getting excited. I'm like, yeah. this is way more than I could even ask for. I, I was thinking about going to Geek Squad uh, and going to University of Texas, uh, Austin. That was my plan. Because I was going to get into tech. If the program, if they said no to my program, I'm going to go get a computer science degree with yeah. UTSA Austin. I, I'm like, I remember during the interview, I was asked, what is your five-year plan? Mm. And I was like, oh, easy. Option A, I get hired. I become super successful here. And then on my like, option B, I don't get hired. I'm going to come back and reapply after I go get my computer science degree. And I'm like, <laughs> but I'm going to keep applying until I get the job here. Yeah. After I said that, he understood that I, I was driven. Yeah. Back to the reading of the paper, I was like, I need to ask my unit to let me go for 16 weeks. I've never even heard of anybody even doing this. And I yep. remember talking to my master sergeant, master sergeant Weber, uh, who uh, I've always looked up to. He was actually one of the reasons I ended up becoming so successful in my career in the Marines. He was a mentor to me. He pulled me aside. He's like, uh, look, like you are a great Marine, but you're, you could be better if you chose to do better. And I remember after this conversation I had with him, I was like, you know what? I want to be the best. Like I, I'm okay right now, but that's not me trying. Like I should try to be better. And I, I talked to him. I'm like, Hey, there's an opportunity for me to join a program by Microsoft and everybody knows Microsoft. He's like, wait, it's just an opportunity or is it a guaranteed job? And I'm like, it's opportunity that I could get a job. And he's like, we can talk to the platoon commander. And I remember just being, this is so slim. I'm like, this is the amount of bacteria that exists after you put some Purell on your hand. That That's the, the, the <laughs> chance, that 0. 0.0001. I would be the bacteria that stayed alive if this got approved. And sure enough, I, I'm the bacteria that stayed alive. <laughs> I remember I, I pitched this idea and I, I was talking to my platoon commander and I'm like, sir, uh, there is an opportunity that is 16 weeks with a program that Microsoft has launched and it is a opportunity to become a Microsoft employee. And I remember they kept saying an opportunity. And I'm like, yes. And he's like, so it's not guaranteed. I'm like, no, it's not. And he's like, okay, we'll think about it. But you're telling me I'm going to send my best Marine and put him in a program that could get him a job. And I'm like, yes. And I remember just like, uh, okay, yeah. you, you could have just said no. Like, <laughs> why did yeah. you have to break my heart into so many pieces? Uh, yeah. But of course... I respected him so much. At the time, he was Lieutenant Rempe. I, I remember talking to him. He's always been a, another one of my role models. I've been fortunate enough to be exposed to amazing Marines that I've always looked up to. And I still keep in contact to this day just because these people are not your average people. These people have done so many things with their lives. And I always look up to them. But because of the way they carry themselves, they will always treat you with respect regardless of who you are. 
And yeah. I always admire that about somebody because that tells a lot about your character. Uh, so there, there he was. He told me he'll think about it. And he's like, you realize that that is the month that we're going to be in the desert training. And I'm like, yes, sir. And he's like, I'll think about it. Never asked again. I was like, you know what? I gave it a shot. It's the Marines. This is like, you have to accept it. Just keep going. Yeah, just pause real quick there, Joey, because I think I definitely can't speak for him. But if I'm him, not that I ever could be, I feel like because you stuck with it and because you didn't back down in a respectful way, I feel like he respected your desire to see that through. And I'm pretty sure even if that wasn't the deciding factor, that had to be a factor in his mind. And I just want anybody else listening to know and to hear this story at that infinitesimal chance that you feel like you had to even get the opportunity to do it and then going through the program to be successful and get hired and look at you now. I want you to remember this story right here when you think that you can't do something. So back to you, Joey. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I think that that conversation with my platoon commander stuck with me. But what stuck with me even more was when we were in the desert. I remember like we were just doing our training and I remember hearing Sergeant Cruz. I knew that was my platoon commander. Of course, you got to report up. And he's like, you're going. And I was like, sir. He's like, go pack up your stuff. You're going, and I was like, I I was at a loss for words. I I I was so excited, so many emotions going through. Getting so close to the Marines, you get faced with the truth. The truth is, you are no longer going to wear a uniform. Your story that was once told based on your uniform, because in the uniform that you wear, basically it tells your story, meaning it tells me how long you've been in and what you've done with your career. Yeah. So. This is a, kind of like a culture shock. You get so used to a organization that has structure, has every day you have to do this or there will be consequences. Mm -hmm. And you have to get ready to let that go, to get ready to face civilian world where the civilian world works a lot different. Nobody wears ranks mm -hmm. and nobody tells you what to do, which yep. could be good, could be bad, depending, right? Yeah. And there I was, I, I was just flabbergasted. And I was like, I can't believe it. And I remember my platoon commander tells me at the time, I know that this isn't a guaranteed job, but if anybody can do it, you can do it. Hmm. I was so happy at that moment that somebody recognized my potential. And I remember when oh, he yeah. said, you can do it. I'm like, I'm going to try my best. And I remember I took this course to the extreme. I stopped going out. I stopped hanging out with my friends. I was heads down. I'm like, yeah. I remember if you've heard this song, the spaghetti song by Eminem, like you have one shot to prove yeah. yourself. Oh, yeah. I would play that song because it would hype me up. It was my yeah. one shot. At this point, are you in the program or do you still have to interview for the program? I remember you touched on the interview. We love talking about interviews here. And I definitely want to dive into that, especially if you think there's anything actionable that other people might be able to glean from your experience in that as well. It's not a formal interview. It's more of a cultural fit. That's what I think the program still calls it. So if you're looking for guidance on that, 100% recommend to start looking at people that have graduated through the MSSA. But the Microsoft Software and System Academy is a 16, 17-week program. Depending on what path you choose now, they offer tons of paths. At the time, uh, they only offered one, but the same basic construct where you first do a cultural fit, pretty straightforward, 
you get certified into like one of the beginner level certifications to make sure that you have intent to go through the program. And then you get selected, you'll go through the 16, 17 weeks of a bootcamp. Basically, okay. the Microsoft Software and System Academy is almost exactly like structured like a bootcamp. Cool part is that you have an opportunity to eventually get interviewed at Microsoft. Okay. So you're laser focused through that program, heads down, not going out with friends, singing Eminem in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Next? I, I'm such a terrible singer. I did karaoke yesterday. I didn't realize how bad I was till I heard the recording. And I was like, oh, I totally thought I sounded like NSYNC. I swear. It's funny how that works. Right? You you would think. But there I was. Like, I'd listen to Eminem every day. I'd wake up every morning, go PT, do my physical training, and start reviewing my notes. But pro tip, if you're doing a program or doing anything, do more than core curriculum. I can't, I can't stress that enough. I think one of the things that I always tell my mentees is that you have to do more, meaning push yourself. I remember there's a quote by Arnold Schwarzenegger that was like, you get 24 hours and you get to choose what you do with those 24 hours. And I think a lot of people, once you're out of school and you're done with your homework, you stop. No, go, go to the next thing. And that's what I did through the program because I'm like, look, the truth is I've done, I got exposure to networking, but I am not proficient in it and I will I need to be proficient and if I if I'm not proficient I need to try my best to be there right so yeah. I was like to tell my mentees like it's not about getting a certificate or just doing your core course like go above go do a project go build an app go deploy yeah. an app get your hands on and that's something I was doing and the reason why I think I shined a little bit more was cuz I achieved three certifications throughout those 12 weeks and I remember if I wasn't studying something I was studying something else but I had a roadmap and that's another thing that I always tell my mentees is have a plan to improve yourself like it doesn't have to be a college course it could be a certification right i remember the interview oof, uh, interview loops like I remember I didn't do so well in one of the interviews and I got kind of sad. Pro tip, like every interview is a new person. So it's a new opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I went through the program. It was 12 weeks. They're like, you're going to fly up to Redmond and actually get interviewed. And I was excited about this because uh, for me, not only did I have to pass statistics, which was, oh, I'm, I'm not the best at math at all, but I was able to pass it. And on top of that, I did my coding. I was I was doing coding in several languages, but I, I was excited to do the interview. But the weird part for me was that I was passionate about networking. And one of the other pro tips that I always have is you always want to pursue a career, not a job, because I think there's two different concepts. A job yep. is what you go through nine through five. A career is something you're passionate about. So find your yep. passion. For me, my passion was networking. The reason why? It's because if you look at the OSI model, the very first one, layer, layer two, layer three, you're looking at networking. And the way I always thought about my career was it should have an end goal. My end goal would be the application layer. So if I'm going to be proficient, I need to be super proficient for layers one and two yeah. to start achieving the higher levels. Build a foundation. Exactly. And once I have a strong foundation, then I can take that and apply it to actual security so that's at the end of the day security I, I think one of the things that i really wanted to focus on was doing more than what was across the board the standard which was just the core curriculum yeah. and i started looking into what certs were recognized inside of the industry 
highly recommend this book called Grit by Angela Duckworth. Uh, and it goes into a little bit about how people become successful and the psychology behind it. And it's really well done. And one of the things you learn from like that book is that it's not always about how talented somebody is, because if you're gritty enough, you can achieve that and more. So for me, it was more about listening to the Eminem soundtrack. You got that one shot. <laughs> Are you going to take it or just let it slip? Uh, and that, that specific lyric stuck to me because it was a once-in-a-lifetime in opportunity for me. And so I, I went heads down. I, I was studying day in, day out. When I wasn't doing my homework, I was studying for my certification. I was doing practice exams. I was doing everything I could, and I was successful. I was able to do the CCNA, and I also was able to complete the CCMP. Okay. I graduated. I went through the interview process. Up to the interview process, there's another book I recommend, which is Cracking the Code Interview. Cracking the Code has like a series of books. I highly recommend them. They're really well done. And I think it was in one of those books where I learned about how to handle a question you don't know how to answer. Mm-hmm. And for me in the military, I was always, you never want to look bad in front of your senior leadership team. But corporate America isn't really like that. It's the way that you're able to handle a situation that you're in and ask for help. And yeah. that was one of my key learnings. It's okay to ask for help. And, yeah. and that actually happened to me in the interview. So what happened? I was afforded the opportunity to fly up to Redmond. Microsoft has the concept of interview loops. And the reason why is because you'll run into technical interviewers and soft skill interviewers. And those two are really core to passing a successful interview. You got your soft skills will you be a good fit for my team? So that's really important because if you think about it day to day, if you have somebody that is a know-it-all and refuses to be a learn-it-all, do you want that person in your team? Probably not. Do you want somebody that is like, okay, well, I think I know, but like, do you know of a better way? So you're looking for collaboration. You're looking for the skills. And those questions, like the, the major questions you'll hear is like, what is your biggest strength? What is your biggest weakness? Those are like the classic ones. But my favorite to ask during interviews, why do you want to work here? Why do you want to work at Microsoft? What was your answer? My answer, I'll tell you my answer. This is my golden nugget. You don't want a generic response. That's the key. Do not answer that question with a generic response. The reason why the interviewer is asking, they're looking for your drivers and motivations. Because at the end of the day, they're trying to hire somebody that can connect to the work. They're not trying to hire somebody that is just looking for a paycheck. I've heard so many answers. Why do you want to work here? The paycheck. Not a great answer. Yeah, yeah money should never be a motivating driver. It, it should be like a side plus to it, right? Now you're leaving us hanging, Joey. What was your answer to that question? So there I was, I was getting ready for my interview questions. And of course, like uh, you can use so many resources to understand what are questions being asked inside of interviews. And what I found was you want to be able to answer with a answer that really speaks to who you are. So an example of mine was the Microsoft Virtual Academy. I thought it was crazy when I found out that the Microsoft Virtual Academy offers free training because everywhere I went, everything I was finding was paid training. And of course, in the military, you're not making a lot of money. So... You're kind of hurting for the free resources. So there I was, and I found the Microsoft Virtual Academy and it was offering tons of free training. And I was like, there has to be a catch. 
Yeah. And my answer to the question, why Microsoft, is because I want to be part of an organization that gives back to a community without expecting anything in return. And the reason why that is so important to me as a person is because I know what it's like not to have a dollar to you. I know what it's like to grow up in a low income family. Like you're, you don't have the resources for a company so big, like Microsoft to give something for free. I want to be a part of that team. Yeah. That's like being part of a unit that resonated with the interviewer. I was being genuine. So the way to answer that question is be genuine, do your research, figure out what the company's about. And if that's something that you can connect with, because for me, that's how I connected with why Microsoft. Yeah. No, that's amazing. So then you, I think you got that job. How long did it take for you to to find that out and get your result? Yeah. So <laughs> the, there's a four round interview loops to be completely honest with you. I felt okay in the beginning. The second one, I did not feel good at all. I was terrified. Actually, that's a key learning right there because the four rounds interviews is four chances to make a significant impression on somebody. Yeah. Uh, meaning that if you do bad on one, don't carry that energy to the third one. Don't carry yeah. that energy to the fourth one. Don't let it get to your head because I thought I didn't even get the job. Yeah. Like I, I remember everybody leaving and everybody was like, I got it. I know I got it. And I remember like, you didn't feel that way. Yeah. I was like, Hey, congrats. Like, I, I tried my best. Like there, yeah. I, I was Eminem. I had sp- mom spaghetti <laughs> on my sweater, and I was walking out of the interview loops, thinking like, "Hey, I'm. You know what? Like at the end of the day, you shoot your best shot. If it doesn't land, it doesn't land." Yep. And sure enough, they told us you're gonna hear back within a week. I didn't want to focus or hyper focus on it because it is what it is. So there I was. I remember I was like in a radio cage. We were getting ready for some other operations, so we were doing inventory. And then I get a call from a 425 number and I pick up, it's like, hey, this is so-and-so from Microsoft, we're ready to offer you this offer. Wow. I remember just hearing Microsoft making you an offer. Yeah. I felt like just crying just cause yeah. like, wow, they're giving somebody that couldn't even afford a computer yeah. and went through the military, they're giving them a shot. Yeah. And I remember I was so happy to get my first role as a network engineer or site reliability engineer inside of Link. And I remember during the interview, uh, the interviewer, he asked me, he's like, have you worked with servers? And at my time, I was like, yeah, yeah, I've worked with five, six servers. And I thought that was like a huge thing. Uh, He's like, well, are you ready to work with thousands? I was like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Step function up. Well, yeah, that's that's a step up, but I love a challenge. I love being able to learn and grow. And I, I think even when I stepped into the site reliability engineering role, I learned a lot. I, it was insane. I went from building ad hoc networks to managing a global network of yeah. servers, which if you know anything about unified communications, it's, it's complicated to send yeah. Uh, voice, video, real time, like what we're doing right now. This is back in 2014. For me, it was mind blowing the amount of complexity, Uh, but I was happy. I was really happy because for me, I always aligned my career to the OSI model. I know I want to be proficient all the way from layer zero, all the way to layer seven, eight, and nine. Yeah. Building that foundation and then building on. Yeah, exactly. I was excited. Uh, it was a learning process. I will say there's a saying on this side. 
drinking from the fire hose. Yep. I didn't know what it was called at the time, but it's called imposter syndrome. And I remember thinking like, oh, this is extremely overwhelming. I, I've never been so much responsibility for a network that has been globally expanded. Now, the military and the Marines, I was in charge of a network that was responsible for providing fire support for our unit. Uh, but this was a, a global service that was 24-7 being used. And I was like, I was one of the network engineer uh, on a team that was in charge of it. Yeah, I was fortunate enough, though, that when I first started, there was two of my mentors. And I'll never forget their names because I thank them every day because <laughs> they were there for me. And that brings up a really good concept about what people can do to help each other, which is mentorship. Yep. Because they were able to mentor me and they're like, hey, we know you're new. But I remember my manager pulled me aside and he drew, I would say, like the Nike checkbox, right? So he did a little starting point and a dip and then it went up. And then he drew a line from the starting point that went through it. So it looked like a check mark, but there was a line that went horizontally at the very top of the check mark. And he explained to me, this is where you are. This is your productivity. Productivity was a horizontal line that went above the very tip of the checkpoint. And he said, it's okay not to be productive because this is the learning curve for your trajectory. And that's okay. I remember that simple little symbol that he drew on the whiteboard meant so much to me because I yeah. was like, while I'm fighting this imposter syndrome, I keep thinking to myself, they may have made a mistake. Yeah. They, this this person didn't have the global experience that I thought. Yeah. Keep trying, keep going. That little check mark is you. You're, you yeah. will eventually become productive and then pass the expectations. That's a great visual. And, and just like you, Joey, I mean, everybody listening, I know I certainly still deal with imposter syndrome. So that is a great visual tool to try to, to use to, to keep everything in perspective. So that was like eight or nine years ago, I think. And for the sake of brevity, because I know we're coming up on our time and I still want to put you on the hot seat and learn more about your nonprofit, I want to ask you, in the last eight to nine years, do you want to quickly summarize your ascension into Microsoft from that first SRE role to now being the principal role that you are? Yes. Yeah, so so I, I think it's all been a learning experience. But one of the things that has always stuck with me is when when you are in a role, look at the process improvements. Even if you're not in a site reliability role, the biggest impact that you could have in a business is improving it. And there's simple ways of improving it. I love automation. The reason why I went into product management was because I wanted to be more hands-on to actually influencing what the product looks like. And mm -hmm. that is exactly as a product manager, you influence that. But site reliability engineering role and all the way up to principal, I've learned there's these 10 inclusive behaviors. And I love them because they tie into the principal leadership traits in the Marine Corps, which one of them is uh, know yourself, seek self-improvement. And the reason why I think they tie into what the Marines have taught me is because if you're constantly improving yourself and you're constantly looking at improving your environment or whatever role you're in, you're going to be able to have a trajectory yeah. where it's well recognized that this person isn't doing the bare minimum. This person is noticing the details. This person yeah. is even going to learn technologies that isn't in scope. Just because it's not your role doesn't mean you should not go learn it. Yeah. For me, I love learning new things. So that's why it, when I discover a new button, 
I'm going to go figure out why is the button there? Yeah. What does it do? And how do I break it? So, that's, yep. yeah, that's it, it. But doing that, if you constantly keep doing that, you're going to learn so much. And even though you don't know it all and it's okay not knowing it all, you are going to get to a level where you find it fun. And if you find yeah. it fun, this is something that can help you in your career be known as somebody that's okay to, to be putting in work where it's helping them grow and they yeah. can use that as another tool in their toolbox to make either the product or the process even better. Yeah. Don't worry about staying in your lane. I think I got thrown into a meeting by mistake early on in my career here at LinkedIn. And it was a, I think he was a director that mentioned that early on. He's like, no, you know what? Don't, don't worry about staying in your lane, you know, branch exactly. out, add value where you can. And that was one of the best meetings that I ever attended. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. Cause I, I think like there's sometimes where the easiest path is going to be the well-known path, right? Yeah, but yeah. sometimes it's it's okay to go learn why is there two buttons? Yeah. Could it be better if we just had one button that did what that second button was there for? Yeah. And that for me, like those 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 have been the most valuable contributions in my career is being able to learn a process and improve on that process and make it either more efficient or even even ask why. It's okay yep. to ask why, because sometimes people don't ask why. It ties into my favorite quote, which I live by always. Rear Admiral Grace Murray Hopper, first person to find a computer bug. The most dangerous phrase in the English language is we've always done it this way. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I love that. This is, that's like, apply that to everyday life. Yeah. I remember starting and I was like, why do we do it this way? And they're like, this is how we keep doing this not good enough and yeah i'm like why this could improve and i yeah. remember my first big accomplishment inside of microsoft was creating an automated solution for a manual process yeah. i remember i was so proud of it because i never understood why it was taking so long and why didn't we automate it and no, that no. for me always stuck up that's actually my favorite quote you'll find out on my linkedin yeah yeah no that's beautiful and joey you've got a beautiful story about are you ready for the hot seat yeah Let's do it. All right. What does your typical morning routine look like? Uh, wake up 5 a.m., drink my pre-workout, go to the gym, run to the gym, get two miles in, and uh, have a workout plan. I love it. Efficient, nutritious, and to the point. I love that. Yeah. And don't forget to make your bed. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. If you woke up tomorrow with unlimited money, what do you think you would do every day with your time? Oof. I would become a full-time philanthropist and honestly create free resources that are right now gated by money. So that would be either in the form of grants, scholarships, but really give back to communities that need and leverage AI and machine learning to build that. Yep. Oh, I like it. Any books or podcasts that have had the biggest impact on you, assuming that Angela Duckworth's grit isn't one of them, and maybe it is? It is absolutely grit has hands down. Everybody I meet is the first recommendation I make. Uh, Making things stick is another great book. Uh, the checklist manifesto is a, honestly a process improvement book that I yep. absolutely love. With that said, I'll, I'll make a plug for two applications that are game changers. Uh, find time if you use Outlook, uh, but also to do, which is a personal checklist that you can create that spans across your desktop applications, but also your mobile applications. Full disclaimer, I work at Microsoft. Those are Microsoft products, but I love them. And they tie really well into Checklist Manifesto. Highly recommend okay. Podcast, The Cyberwire. 
after I come back from the gym, I'll put on the Cyberwire. The hosts in that organization of the Cyberwire, really amazing staff. They do a really great job of snipping what's happening in cybersecurity world and giving you all the information all up front every day. I like that. What are your thoughts on either the Darknet Diaries or Malicious Life, if you're familiar with those? Darknet Diaries is definitely one of my favorite ones as well. But the reason why I say Cyberwire is because that it's integrated into my daily routine. Okay. And I use it for work as well. So yeah. being an identity and access management security is definitely top of mind. Okay. Uh, so being able to hear what's happening, uh, 100% recommend. But Dark, Darkening Diaries, really, really well done podcast. It's a lot, really entertaining. I love it. Yeah. it motivates you to get into the cybersecurity world for sure. Yeah. All right. Tell me about the most influential person in your life and how they impacted you. Uh, my mother. I thought I might know the answer to that. Yeah, it has to be my mom. Uh, she taught me, even though everything can go against you, being told that you don't belong in this country, even being discriminated by her race, by her gender, she still kept going. And for me, that that speaks volumes that never stop. Keep going. Yeah. And I remember this one conversation she had with me. Uh, she was telling me about how long it would take to accomplish a task. I remember I thought about it. It was like a few minutes. She asked me, why don't you do it? And I was like, ah. I could give her an excuse or I could just own up to it. Yeah. And just in those like little words and the way she talked to me, it's like I figured out, hey, just own up to your mistakes and just do it. Like yeah. I, I think Nike's onto something when I just do it. Yeah. So now it's something that sticks to me to this day. When somebody asks for help, it takes a few minutes, help them. And I think that's what I'm known for is is like if you reach out for help, I will help you. Yeah. I don't like the feeling of feeling alone. That is something that my most influential role model has taught me. Yeah. No, go mom. Yeah. All right. If you could send a single message to your former self to help you during that transition into tech, what would that message be? A single message to transition to tech. There's no character limit, but keep it a little bit concise. Let's pretend it's like maybe Twitter or maybe a Twitter thread at the most. Focus on automation. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Honestly, automation has impacted my ability to be efficient in so many ways. It's something, it's not even in my lane. So when we go back to know your role and stay in your lane, yeah. no, go, go learn automation. Like that is the one piece of technology that is always evolving. So back in my day, it was PowerShell. Nowadays, low code, no code solutions like Power Automate. Again, disclosure, I work at Microsoft, but it is insane how easy it is now to yeah, automate yeah. something that was so repetitive. Go look at it. And like, if, if you go look at it, think about it because you could help your entire organization. Yeah. Automate everything you can. Yep. All right, Joey, what else are you working on? You want to tell us about Somos.Tech? I'm excited to learn more about it. Yeah. So I, I think Somos.Tech is roots are actually inside of employee resource groups. The reason why is because they are intended to create a community to help out marginalized communities. So in this case, Hispanics. And I also was part of military at Microsoft. I was able to help them stand up. I remember when I first started at Microsoft back in 2014, there wasn't an ERG group for veterans. And of course, I was able to meet the vets that were starting to come up there. And one of the things about communities is that everybody wants to feel like they belong because it goes back into that old saying is people go where they're invited, but they stay where they feel like they belong. And that is so true. When I first started at Microsoft, I want to say a year in, we lost one of my brothers into combat. 
and that took a toll on me and then we lost another brother to suicide and that also took a toll on me and i was looking for my community i'm like where are the people that i can talk to that can relate not a lot of people understand what it's like to have somebody you served with lost i needed that sense of community and for me that was really important and then i found it inside of the military at microsoft i found that group and i was helping them stand up and i found my community i did the same for ola i helped that group expand into teams huge advocate for teams i love teams i come from the teams teams so huge plug there and i watched that grow in these communities i think a lot of people when when they see these groups they automatically dismiss it if they don't connect immediately so i always think that you have 3 seconds to connect to something and if you don't you just put it in your backlog hmm. so if you don't connect, you don't establish a connection, you become UDP. That's a networking joke. One way. Yeah. You should always three-way handshake because you don't know if it's going to be able to help you or somebody you know. So there I was. I was, I was sitting as the chief technology officer for OLA, uh, which is the Hispanics Organization of Leaders in Actions. And then uh, there were these two leaders that I met, and they were talking to me about establishing a new chapter and calling it Somos Early in Career. And I was like, why Somos? And I'm like, I know Somos in Spanish is we are. And I was like, I love that name. Like Somos, we are. Because one of the things about Hispanics and Latinx that a lot of people don't know is that they're different. They're not the same thing. Being inclusive is important to understand that we're inclusive to Hispanic and Latinx. So the word Somos stuck out to me a lot. So I helped them stand up. Seeing a number from zero grow up to a thousand plus was super inspiring because I've done yeah. it now three times. But then I started thinking about how we could do this for a community that is not at Microsoft. And then that's where the idea of creating a nonprofit started. I remember one time I went to a hosting provider, typed in Somos, and I was looking at the domains and I kept scrolling down and I saw tech. And I was yeah. like, no way. And I was like, Somos.tech is available. All I needed was a sign. And I was like, I want to establish a community of Hispanic, Latinx, and allies. If you don't know what an ally is, it means that if you don't identify Hispanic or Latinx, you can still join, but you help support the community. Yeah. Again, that three-second rule, when they see Hispanic, Latinx, they automatically dismiss. We're fighting that, but it's a community. So I decided to start my nonprofit called Somos.Tech to create a community it's really intended to be like an open source community. The open source community is to help point people to a good example, your podcast. So if they need inspiration, they need to help, they need to be pointed to resources, even free resources, because there's tons of them. There's even yeah. free boot camps and there's certs. So what we're trying to do is create an open source community where we can all help each other and break into tech yeah. from non-traditional roles. So that's the whole idea there. It's rather new, but the really exciting part is that we found other nonprofits and other organizations that are really excited about working together because yeah. additionally, it hasn't been as easy to work together to try to build a community, but I think times are changing. And I think if anything, uh, right now, having a free community that anybody can tie into without there being a cost or a requirement of a specific yeah. uh, type of resource needed. So, yeah, you've got a beautiful website and I think you guys are definitely off to a, a great start. And Joey, to anybody listening now that wants to be a part of the Somos.Tech community, would they just go to the site and follow whatever directions they see there? Yeah, absolutely. I would say there's there's two different ways that you can take Somos.Tech. 
Uh, if you're a tech professional, consider contributing. There's a way for anybody to contribute. Again, this is intended to be a communal resource to help everyone out. You'll find that everything on the website is free. We're not here for the money. We don't want the money. What we want is to help our community because we know how hard it was to feel alone, to feel like you're the only one to break into tech. So if we break those barriers and become a community, that's going to help everybody out in the long run. And we're happy to point people to the correct resources. So there's the tech professionals, and we need those to help create the community. And then there's the people that you know that are trying to break into tech. Point them to Somos.tech. We'll give you the free resources. You don't even have to join. If you want to go and look at what we have, go go for it. Yeah. I, I highly recommend if you want to contribute, if you want to leave a review, leave a review. But again, this is by the community to help the community. Yeah. No, I love it. So, Joey, where can people go to find out more about you? Should they go to LinkedIn, Somos.tech, all of the above, anywhere else? My two cents, go to Somos.tech. But okay. yes, of course, you can always find me on LinkedIn. Uh, just make sure to send a message because uh, I do look at the reviews and I do look at a few other things because being part of security, you know, zero trust. That's, that's, that's right. the word of the day, zero yep. trust. Guilty until proven innocent. Trust but verify. There, there you go. Cool. Well, Joey, I, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. And again, thank you for your service to this country. I, I think you have an inspirational story, and I'm so glad you shared it with us here today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's show, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on Apple or Spotify. It's a free way you can support the show and help other people just like you find the story and others like it. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. And most importantly, if you know someone that might be interested in breaking into tech, tell them about the show. 